everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show Weekend Review episode. My name is Taylor Rockwell. I remembered to introduce the show and myself. All that remains is to introduce my co-host, a man who never over-celebrates, regardless of if it's the first goal or the 13th goal. It's Mr. Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan. Greetings, Tay How are you on this fine Monday? I'm awake, so that's a start. That's one thing, uh, yeah. That's important. Th- yeah, this is the earliest we've ever recorded the weekend review, which is not that big a video. It's not like we're recording it at 5 a.m. It's just normally we record around 11. Today it's 9 a.m. And I, I think that makes me slightly sharper, slightly more alert and ready to go. I hope at least we'll find out if that ends up being the case. Mm. It, maybe we should just be like professional soccer players and only work between like 9 and 11 a.m. every day. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the dream. I, I yeah. would be okay with that, except that then I would have to run a lot and then I would be out of shape and then I would like sweat and pant and, and look bad and be red faced all the time. I don't know. Mm. I don't know if I need that in my life, right? Yeah, let's not do that. Okay. <laughs> let's instead <laughs> uh, talk about uh, all the action that was from this past weekend. To do so in honor of Romelu Lukaku scoring for Inter Milan, Woo! we're going to go back to the Romelu Lukaku thumbs up, thumbs down system of evaluating the weekend. We had some people point out on Reddit that that was a fun, sort of lighthearted way to approach the weekend review. Are so we calling it the gonna, Lukaku gonna... Index? Yes, yes, that's exactly what it is. It's yeah. a, it's an official thing. We're going to get it registered. It's a whole system we're working on. Um, but we're going to be talking about lots of different games. Um, mostly, well, actually, I should say all from Europe. Uh, no Major League Soccer on today's show, but, uh, a lot of games on the continent and then a lot of, uh, Premier League soccer because there was lots going on in the Premier League. Ryan, let's start with maybe the big one from yesterday. At least I think it was the big one. Chelsea won, Liverpool two. Who is thumbs up? Who is thumbs down for you? I'm going to say thumbs down to Chelsea's back line, and they're defending, Tay-Tay. <laughs> I think that's probably fair, and it's especially <laughs> fair when you say it with that tone. Oh, well, thank you very much. Yeah, obviously, um, we, we know that Chelsea's back line is a little bit leaky at the moment. We know well, well, What gets me is, I think I've made this point before on this show, how Chelsea fans are very down on last season. Oh, mm. you know, sorry, it was terrible. It was terrible to watch. So boring. We never achieved anything. Then you go, hang on. You finished in the top four, you got to the League Cup final, you won the Europa League, yep. Sorry delivered a lot. And let's look at Sarri's first five, uh, first six mm-hmm. games in the Premier League. Five wins and a draw. Uh, let in, I think, three goals, maybe four. That's it was, not quite it, the same record as Frank Lampard has managed. 13 <laughs> goals conceded in six games. That's over two per match for the uh, math fans out there. And particularly the issue here is set pieces, isn't it? We're both... Both Liverpool goals here coming from set pieces, which is obviously a big organisational issue. So mm. as fun as it is and as wonderful it is to, to have Super Frankie back in the ranks, this team, in my opinion, is a long way from being big six material. And a lot of that is down to um, the defending. And the, the other part, I'd say, is down to not being clinical. We can talk about it later, though. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't disagree with pretty much anything you said. Uh, because, yes, like the set pieces, you always want to do everything you can to defend properly, to be set up properly. But I would say even like the concession of some of those set pieces, like the Andreas Christensen tackle that leads to, I think, the second Liverpool goal might have been the first one. But like, it's just, it's, it's very sloppy. It's very last ditch. He ends up coming out, uh, I believe at halftime. And like, it, it just, it was sort of, fly by night or like fly by the seat of your pants sort of defending for me on a lot of occasions and certainly not the level of consistency you would want. And then, yeah, to your point, you look at, I think, uh, all three former Chelsea managers in Italy uh, won this weekend. Uh, Antonio Conte, top of the table in Serie A. Uh, Maurizio Sarri with Juve and Carlo Ancelotti with Napoli. So it sort of Ooh. is like, well, of, like former Chelsea managers seem to be doing just okay or just fine. Uh, Chelsea, for their part, uh, not the strongest result, certainly not for their defending. I will say... 
Uh, I did appreciate that after the game, they were applauded off by the fans. I thought that was interesting. Jose Mourinho did not. And I have thumbs down to Jose Mourinho for being a curmudgeon. Um, he was basically making the argument that, like, if you want to be a big club, if you want to be challenging for the title, you can't just applaud hard work and, and heart. You have to kind of, like, once you start settling for effort, you're no longer a championship team. And I understand where he's coming from, but I think it's not that they were just like applauding that, that they're applauding the process, that they support the process and what's trying to happen and they support Frank Lampard. I don't think they're saying like, yep, that's good enough. I think they're saying like, yes, we feel like we're moving in the right direction. We did not feel that way last season. So we're more inclined to applaud and give credit where credit is due, even if it's due in a two to one loss. Yeah, I understand. I understand where both you and Josie are coming from. If I'm going to mediate between the two of you today, that's fair. I understand both of your opinions here, but you know, there there is this sense that even if this isn't good enough, it, the, the the defeats are no longer as deflating as they used mm-hmm. to be. I think is the point here, and and there's a feeling that some good news is on the way that this philosophy is going to take place, take hold, and something good is going to be created from this identity that Frank Lampard is making. But my concern there is that Chelsea have never been a team to kind of allow identity to take shape over time you know, just Mauricio, Mauricio sorry if, if you remember the start of last season he says I need two seasons to get my system down two seasons give me two seasons mm-hmm. he didn't get that he got 50% of his requests there did he not he, did he didn't not. get the whole two seasons he got the two seasons and also he did deliver quite uh, you know some silverware in that first season so <laughs> it makes you wonder what, what would happen if he got that second season we know how how much uh, you know the Italian game mm-hmm. is in, in in awe of what he created at Napoli could have had a similar thing at Chelsea if they'd given him a little bit more time. And this is what I don't, you know, the feeling is that Lampard is going to get more time and he probably will. But that doesn't, that seems a bit contrary to Chelsea's previous actions, doesn't it? It does. But like, it also, I'm, I'm so confused looking back now. Like, I know we talked about this last season with the weekend review, in the weekend reviews about what was going wrong with Chelsea, why, sorry, wasn't backed. But it's still... In, in retrospect, is just such a strange situation. As you talked about, he has successes, he does well, and then Chelsea end up letting him go anyway to Juventus, mm. uh, which is a system that I think, of resolution that I think they were more than happy with. And so, yeah, you see them now, and like, it's great they're developing, it's great they're kind of playing the system and buying into what Frank Lampard wants them to do, and he's a club legend and all that. But I still wonder, like, but would Maurizio Sarri be able to do something similar with the squad, especially a squad that he kind of at least in part assembled uh, to fit his system if he had had more time? And I feel like he probably would. But yeah. I guess it's all for naught because uh, Chelsea still in the rebuilding process. Get, uh, do not get the points here. Liverpool do. Do you have any thumbs for Liverpool? Oh, I've got so many thumbs. My thumbs have been warming <laughs> up all morning for Liverpool. I'm going to give them an up. It's pointing towards the sky for Liverpool in terms of... This was a game I felt where it's one of those games where you have to win if you're going to be a champion because mm-hmm. um, you, you you win even though you probably didn't deserve to. It's kind yeah. of that, that holding on to win like a champion. It feels very stereotypical, very Man United late 90s, uh, winning games, grinding through when you, you're getting under the cosh in the second half like they were here. And that's part of the you know part of the problem with Chelsea, which I was referring to earlier. They're just not clinical. In this game, we had, what, Mount and Batshuayi and mm-hmm. Abraham earlier on. These chances they just didn't take. And against Valencia last week in the Champions League, 22 chances on goal, and they didn't score any of those. So, you know, that's a problem for Chelsea. But in terms of Liverpool and keeping all of those chances out, Great for them. Thumbs up the way that they held on in this game. 
It, it does feel a bit like, uh, and I think maybe one of the commentators sort of made this argument that like Chelsea smashed Wolves and just like every shot they had went in. And I wonder if there was just an element of like, all right, well, that's how it is now. Every shot we take, we score. So everybody shoot all the time and I'm sure something will happen, except hmm. maybe not for the last two games. And yeah, and I take your I take your point absolutely about Liverpool because when you're playing a specific style and a specific like setup that you consistently utilize, when the other team adjusts to deal with that and they start having more of the game... There is that idea that like sometimes you start to crumble because they figured you out and it's really difficult to change what you're doing. And for Liverpool to like not necessarily change what they were doing, but just sort of dig in, get stuck in, I guess is the like the cliche way to put it. But I I take your point absolutely that yeah. they f- to like kind of battle through that and and come out on top and keep the winning streak alive. It was definitely a resounding result, especially given uh, what Man City did uh, earlier in the weekend. For sure. And yeah, it is cliche. And it's a bit trite for us to say this, you know, it's good that a team mm-hmm. should should win one, uh, <laughs> or no, shouldn't win one, you know, they're yeah. playing like champions. It is trite to say, but uh, also it might be a bit trite, your, your, next, your next thumb, perhaps. <laughs> um, the point you're uh, but my next thumb is going up uh, for Liverpool's fullbacks for just being excellent. Apparently uh, they're Trent good. Alexand- Who what's, knew? what's that? Apparently they've got good fullbacks. Who knew? Yeah, who knew, right? Who knew? It's like Andy Robertson, what a difference a couple of weeks makes. Like having to delete his Twitter from all the abuse he suffered versus this weekend. Andy Robertson, Trent Alexander-Arnold especially. Mm. Uh, very solid. The first goal, just an absolute rip from Alexander-Arnold. That was impressive. But the little kind of designed set piece where they have uh, the free kick that leads to the second goal. And like it looks for all the world like it's going to be whipped in. And instead it's it's like a back heel that's then crossed in that I think throws off the defense a little bit. It allows Roberto Firmino to get wide open for the header. Yeah. So that sort of distribution, the way they're able to kind of provide such atta- attacking uh, width and get involved in the attack but still do their defensive job and put out fires and track players when they need to. It was a very comprehensive performance to me from those two fullbacks, uh, which is what Liverpool absolutely needed to get these three points on the road. Definitely so. And obviously, one of the big problems against Napoli was that Napoli exploited the space behind them. Yes. And they managed to not do that. Or Chelsea managed to not do that. So full credit to the fullbacks here. And we know that they're going to be up there in the, in the assist charts at the end of the season, as they were last season. And we know that, you know, they're very important to Jurgen Klopp's system. Bully for them, Tay-Tay. Bully for them. <laughs> Did you see that stat that was doing the rounds that, like, I think they are the top two assist getters, if not just for fullbacks, then for, like, all players? And it's, like, not even close. They're so far ahead, those two players. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I think a strong statistical season, fairly likely, for uh, both Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson. Uh, anything else you wanted to talk about from this game before One we move on? One thing I just wanted to talk to you about, it's the mm-hmm. uh, Christian Pulisic situation. Ah, yes. Thank, is you. He, thank you. In thank your you, opinion, you. is he anywhere near the starting 11 at the moment? Because I've, I'm see- I've been reading a few pieces this week saying, guys, mm-hmm. don't worry about Pulisic and I kind of had a sentiment similar to that when we spoke last week don't worry about it it's going to be okay but now I'm starting to think well he's behind Mason Mount he's Mm -hmm. behind probably Willian judging by this Mm -hmm. lineup and maybe Pedro I mean I believe so so is he fourth in the depth chart here and potentially fifth when Callum Hudson Odoi returns. Yeah, uh, there was an article in Pro Soccer USA about this. I guess they were at the press conference. They asked Frank Lampard. Uh, they said he was he was very clear. I would say he was somewhere closer to like managerial speak. But I think the idea was like others are ahead of Pulisic when it comes to Chelsea. That he has things he needs to work on. But it's worth remembering he's a very very young player. Yeah. So they don't want to rush him. He still will get plenty of games and plenty of game time. But I think all that definitely says. Right now, he is not a starter. Um, there was a great kind of Reddit thread in response to this. It's not all, always the case that Reddit is going to give you the best insight, but there are some great points in there about like kind of 
Uh, there's one Adam Bell's retweeted it as well. That's like sort of a breakdown of like, is he this? No. Is he that? Yes. Is it this? Yes. Like he explains everything that's going on. And it's a good post that kind of reminds you that like, yeah, he's a really young guy who has a lot to work on, probably has not developed as much as we would have liked in the last two seasons, especially with the way the last season went at Dortmund. So it makes sense that he is going to struggle a little bit, is going to have to adapt and change the way he plays and figure out the system. Yeah. But it is still a bummer, I think, just because we all had these ideas that he would just kind of come in and be fine and electrify and like make everybody forget who Aiden Hazard was instead. I don't think that's really been the case. No, I mean, I think the way people try to rationalize it as saying, you know, it's okay, he's young, he's going to get plenty of game time down the line, League Cup coming up and all that. Yeah. But this is a team that's full of t- players who are 21 and under who are untested. And well, he, he should very much be among them if, yes. he, if he's going to break through, surely. I will- I will say he does like play in a position that does have at least like a decent amount of veteran like presence there because you've got Ross Barkley who can play wide and is veteran uh, like to some degree. Uh, Pedro in there as well, Willian in there. So at least it's not like like a position where it's like maybe one veteran and then like five youngsters and he's lost out to all of those youngsters. I do feel like he's behind some players that provide that experience and then Mason Mount obviously played with Frank Lampard last season at Derby. So. So there are some extenuating factors for me, but it is still the case that not seeing him in this game at all, not seeing him get involved when Chelsea are chasing and need to get a result. There were shades of Dortmund last season, and I did not love his time at Dortmund last season. So I'm, I'm hoping things turn around a little bit for him, but I'm also willing to give him time and give Frank Lampard time to find a way to bring him in. Indeed. Let's just give all him right. time. The passage of give time should fix all. Give it time. Let's uh, move it on in terms of time to uh, Leicester City 2, Tottenham 1. I'm going to start off with this one, Ryan. I'm going to say thumbs up to Brendan Rodgers, who I hope stays at Leicester City for a very long time. I hope Because it does feel like he's having success. It feels like at a certain point he's going to be linked with a bigger team. And I kind of hope he doesn't go because this, to me, feels like the perfect combination of, like, Swansea... Probably below Brendan Brendan Rodgers in terms of like what he wants to accomplish and where he wants to be. Maybe Liverpool was a step too far. Celtic, like you know, they're going to win. It's not that big of a challenge for him. But Leicester, it's like they should be in that top six, top seven conversation. Maybe they push on and get top four. It seems like he's got the team buying into it, and it just feels like like Leicester are right there with where Brendan Rodgers. I feel like his his ceiling may be, like which is a weird thing to say about a human, but it just feels like a a match made in heaven, and they're getting the results. So I do hope Brendan Rodgers uh, hangs out in Leicester for a little bit longer. Definitely, they're they're just so much fun to watch. This was a great game to watch in general, wasn't it? Which was ruined by a certain acronym uh, piece of technology, (laughs) which I'm sure we'll get onto soon. Um, you know, this is a lesser team. They've got lofty mm-hmm. ambitions, as you say. They definitely should be in that top six uh, conversation. They're probably they are the side most likely to break mm-hmm. into the top six. It seems you know, really fun attacking side. They're very entertaining. Do you think it's because Brendan Rodgers is using more of the envelope antics or less of them? I have to believe he's using less of those. Yeah. I, I, I hope that's the case because <laughs> that was such a, a weird idea. What was it like I have three players in here who aren't going to work? Is that what it was at Liverpool? I got three envelopes in my hands. One of them. Hands? <laughs> I can't do Northern Irish. Um, is that one, of them's, one of them has a player's name who won't be here at the end of the season or something, wasn't it? There it is. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, I do also appreciate Hi-ons. like I, I can hear some differentiation in a lot of the – English, uh, like UK accents. And yet, universally, when I talk to people, if Northern Irish comes up, it is always referred to as the least pleasing of the accents. Of the British, of the British ones? Yes. 
so, so that you couldn't do it just then is not surprising to me, since you seem to have a, a lovely, charming accent. <laughs> oh, I, I do. I'd say Birmingham's probably the least, the worst one, surely. Ooh, actually, you know what? I was hanging out with uh, two guys from Birmingham, and they, I believe, actually said that about their own accent. <laughs> that they have the, like, the least desirable accent of anyone in England, and yet when they come here, people are like, ooh, you're from England. So I guess that, <laughs> that bounces out a little bit the, for them. In the, rank, in the accent rankings, it's definitely Geordie is one of the best, Welsh is one of the best. I actually like, yeah. I like Northern Ireland, because it, it's like... Irish is a bit like this, but then you move your jaw a little bit and it becomes Northern Irish like this, and you don't move your teeth very much. <laughs> that was impressive. Thanks. You, you, I think maybe an SNL, SNL audition. I've been watching Dairy Girls on Netflix. <laughs> they say their vowels and consonants differently. And now I just feel like I'm talking to Brendan Rogers, which is, which is useful because now I want to know all about your tactics. But I, I do like that Leicester this season. Have still have some of that like kind of route one directness. Jamie Vardy is always going to provide that, but watching him this weekend, the way he is able to like accelerate and then just slow down like like in like two yards to be able to take a shot and set himself up perfectly, you yeah. see why he's been so successful there. But you combine that with some of the technical brilliance and the play of James Madison, who I have thumbs up to for just being a genuine joy to watch. He scores the winner; it's a screamer. But in between uh, start like kickoff and scoring that winner, he has so many great little moments and and like. Passing displays, dribbling displays, moments where his vision is excellent. Uh, you see why he is linked with larger clubs. He's one who I hope doesn't move, even if, even though he's routinely linked to Manchester United, just because it seems like he's so well fit yeah. at Leicester right now, and they seem to be having such success. Now, the Premier League is a cruel, uh, a fickle mistress, and it could be that in three weeks we're talking about how, like, oh, they haven't won in three weeks, and it's all terrible. But right now, <laughs> things seem to be going well. Very much so. Yeah, as you say, Madison was a standout player in this game. I thought Pereira was very good, too, mm-hmm. uh, at the right back. But... Madison, yeah, it does seem like, is it going to be this January or next summer when he's ruined by Man United? Uh, it depends on how things continue to go, if Manchester United <laughs> continue to exist as a club in January, but yeah. I'm guessing there'll be some strong links around then, for sure. Can I can I move on to a thumbs down, please? I, I hate to ruin the tone here. I'd like to move on to Tottenham, if that's all right. Let's do it. Thumbs down, Maurizio Pochettino. Okay. Why do you ha- why why do you say these things? Just because they lost, or because like you you've just had enough of Mauricio Pochettino looking sad? Well, he's there's a, he's very grumpy. We know that, and mm-hmm. he's not getting results on the road. We know that January twentieth was the last league win. That's a long time ago. I think it was Fulham, possibly that was in January. It just seems this this unhappiness in the camp in the mm-hmm. summer. It seems like it's continuing in one way or another, and we think we're over the hump of it, and we're not. And I I think that he doesn't last the season. I would. I was thinking. The, I was talking to someone the other day about who lasts longer, Solskjaer or Poch, and I think Oof. there's an argument to say that Solskjaer lasts longer. All right, I want to hear this argument, because I, I, I am fascinated as, as to how you have Mauricio Pochettino leaving before the season ends. I just think he will. <laughs> <laughs> I think he'll be unhappy. I think there could be a situation where, okay. you know, if, if Tottenham's poor form continues... Is that there's possibly even a narrative which goes against what I just said? That there's is there a narrative where he he moves to Man United before the summer's gone, before the summer comes? So so you're proposing almost the Mauricio Sarri situation at Chelsea, which is that like the situation seems like it's going to become untenable. He doesn't really want to be there anymore. Maybe the fans are. That does feel like to be the big biggest difference right now is that I feel like the fans are still in on Poch. But if Man United come calling with a massive offer, maybe that solves some problems for Tottenham. Because I I, I do agree with you that there are these moments like in the post-match presser, they ask him about VAR, which we'll come on to shortly. And, and, And rather than sort of, I don't know why this stands out to me, but it does, that his response was just like, oh, you know, rules are the rules and we have to play within the system. And 
while that is a very emotionally mature answer to that question, it's also coming on the heels of a loss uh, on the road where you do expect him to have a little bit more of that fight mm. and to kind of use VAR as a way to not have to talk about his team. And, and like, that is what managers will do. They will deflect by like making themselves look like, like jackasses or they will deflect by blaming other things that weren't their fault or talking about how they're definitely the better team and then all the headlines are like, can you believe this crazy guy? Whereas they're not writing about how, like the player's poor performances. And here for him just to be like, no, VR was fine. Next question to me feels like, yeah, I want to talk about other things and not talking about VAR to me was an insight into where Mauricio Pochettino is right now. Yeah, and I think also I read something into Harry Kane's comments after the Champions League result earlier. Um, it was some, He said something on along the lines of you know we've been doing this for years and we're making the mistakes we made when he first came and that mm-hmm. sort of made me think is he is he referring to some sort of, he's referring to a regression but is he referring to a regression mm-hmm. from uh, a, a tactics and management perspective as well he's trying to he's putting it on the team here but by extension he's putting that on the manager Yes, and he's putting it on a manager who has not been able to uh, have much success on the road. Tottenham's uh, away record is abysmal. I have thumbs down to it. Uh, they have not won away since January 20th. That was 2-1 to one at Fulham. Fulham, yeah. who were obviously relegated. I think like every team that was in the Premier League last season has won a home game with the exception of Huddersfield since that time, um, or at least I think a Premier League game. So uh, I would say worrying signs for Tottenham there, which were not helped by VAR. Should we talk VAR or do we want to avoid that entirely? I think we need to touch on it because it was a okay. big thing, but every single week it's a mm-hmm. big thing now because that's what yep. we talk about, VAR and its, and its decisions because it's ruining the game. Now, I, I think um, obviously... There's a, I would say down to VAR, but also down to the people complaining mm. about VAR because I can understand why VAR is an issue here. Obviously, with the with the disallowed goal in this game and and how Son was, you know, it, it's impossible to judge where that line's drawn when the exact point the, mm-hmm. the ball is kicked. To, you know, and we've had an amazing game here, and it was a really entertaining game. And the biggest talking point once again is VAR, which is frustrating. And, you know, there's this conversation about whether we should tweak the rules to give the benefit of the doubt to the attacker in a situation like we had there. But then my other down here is that, you know, this is what we asked for. People were asking for consistency. I was one of the people asking for consistency in the ruling. And now we have it. We have definitive consistency with the best possible technology. Mm -hmm. And then we're asking for subjectivity. We're asking for a layer of subjectivity to put over it. Well, you know, just give give the attacker the benefit when it's almost on time. No, because yeah. you asked for the consistency, you've got it, so stick with it. And I think Mark Clattenburg, uh, his quote was, uh, Song Hong Min was offside, get over it. We have to accept this is the best t- technology available right now. And I kind of agree with that, even though it's frustrating seeing how narrow mm. that decision was. That was a decision. It's, it, I mean, it was tight, but that's what it is. And yes. Uh, yeah, and I think, and I think, like, while it's frustrating, and I, if I were a Spurs fan, I would probably be. I think I, I just think I wouldn't feel too differently. But uh, like right now, my feeling is like, yeah, like he's he is a centimeter or two offside, which feels incredibly harsh. But I think Graham Sunis, uh, uh for Sky had the line that was like, "You can't be a little bit pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not." I'm not sure about the science of that, but uh, <laughs> I, I I understand his point, which is just sort of Dr. like if Sunis. you want it. I'm sure he's a doctor, for sure, sure, sure. Um, he's a doctor the way Dr. Pepper's a doctor, I think. He's a doctor uh, of pogborology. That is, that is definitely true. <laughs> um, but like, but I, but I take the overall idea that like, 
like you're either offside or you want. And if we want it to measure instances of offside, then it's going to be particular because you're now using kind of science and data and lines drawn down the pitch. And I, I do understand that like it can be frustrating if you don't know exactly when the ball was struck. But mm. if we're going to kind of go with the offside rule as it is, then VAR is going to get that right, even if it seems very sort of like narky in the way that it ends up like ruling out goals. Knock. I like that. That's a good <laughs> phrase. Yeah, I, I way try, to rule I out try, the right. go, Nark. Yeah, yeah, VAR <laughs> Nark. And but like, and then it, it's a strange game though because the Leicester goal that was ruled ruled out is absolutely the right usage of VAR. It's given mm. as a goal. You go back and look. Players are definitely offside. They're definitely involved in the play in that they're scoring the goal. So then it gets it right. And so there's that disallowed goal. But then the Tottenham goal that's disallowed for a marginal offside call. It makes it feel harsher, but in this case, two goals ruled out correctly according to the rules for offside. And you kind of, I, I think I understand why, Ryan, you have down to VAR, but down to people complaining about VAR because it becomes a big talking point. That's, that's really my thing I don't like about VAR right now is that we inevitably have to talk about it. Yeah. But simultaneously, you see the way it's discussed online and in the media, and it's a almost like willful decision to not look at the subtlety of it and instead be like, this is ridiculous and it's ruling out all these goals and I hate it. And it's just like, Mm. all right, well, now emotion is factored into the equation a little bit. Do you think that Poch was secretly a bit happy about it because it was Sergio who had the uh, goal disallowed? (laughs) (laughs) It was such a good hit. And then, yes, maybe. Maybe maybe, maybe it was. It was probably Uh, outwardly going, oh, no. But inside he was like, yes, yes, that works for me. Take that, Uh, Anything else from Leicester City 2, Tottenham 1, Ryan? Uh, well done to everybody involved. Oh, well, the, uh, the, the, the uh, Harry Kane goal. The uh, that, oh, yes, falling over, trying to go for a dive, and then sort of hooking it in with his foot anyway. And, you know, there's, there's the argument that some refs would have, you know, given a penalty or a free kick for a foul there, which they could mm-hmm. have done. Or they could have given a, you know, a blow for a dive as well before he knocked it in. But he's very lucky that he knocked it in there, I think. That's, but that is still like, I, I can't tell if that is the genius of Harry Kane or the luck of Harry Kane that I'm now interpreting as him being a genius. But to, while falling over, still be able to kick a ball. And to me, it's absolutely intentional. The way he's falling, he's desperately just trying to get a foot on the end of it, but it ends up being a really, really good shot. Yeah. Uh, Tottenham have other even clearer shooting opportunities later on that they hit directly at Casper Schmeichel. So to see Harry Kane falling over and just getting a foot to it, it almost reminds me of like the old idea that you don't want to have to think as a striker. You just want to kind of go by instinct and back yourself to put the ball in the net. And here, Harry Kane definitely isn't really planning what he's doing, but is still able to get a shot on goal and, and turn it in while falling over. Uh, I, I love this goal, and I'm very happy you reminded me to talk about it. No, you're welcome. And any, any fans out there listening uh, want to want to have a bet with me about Poch uh, lasting it past uh, January, find me on Twitter. There we go. Find him on Twitter. That, that felt like a little bit of like, like see me outside. Catch Come outside. at me, bros. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, before Ryan gets uh, assaulted by Total Soccer Show listeners, uh, we should mention that today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. Folks, do you ever feel like ticketing websites? In fact, I'll change it to you. Ryan, do you ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? It's the bane of my life, Tay-Tay. Bane of my life. I had figured. Uh, it's as if they're so big they can get away with not caring about the customer experience, which makes Ryan sad. We don't want that. No. Uh, with millions of live ticket events and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves there's a better way. The real question here is, what if those ticketing sites felt like they actually cared? 
Ooh. And the thing is with SeatGeek is SeatGeek cares. They want you to have the best possible stadium or arena or concert mm-hmm. or sporting experience. And they, uh, they, they help facilitate that, Taylor, with uh, some magical things they do on their site, including the rating scale of ticket mm-hmm. deals. They've got a scale of 1 to 10. It's sort of a traffic light system. Uh, if, if, if a deal is really good and it gets a 10 rating, a nice green light, you should go ahead and take those tickets. If it's amber, mm-hmm, maybe look for a green. I like that. It's a good. It's a good situation. It's not done on pricing. It's done by you know rating of of the of the seat relative to how good it is in the uh, in the arena you're talking about. I like it. Great site. And if we're extending our conversation uh, from earlier, would we say SeatGeek is Brendan Rogers right now at Leicester and all the other ticketing sites are Mauricio Pochettino? Maybe they don't want to work as well. Maybe they're a little frustrated by things. They're like not. They're not able to like put on the venues they want to or the players they want, so they don't enjoy it. Whereas SeatGeek gets the job done, makes everybody happy, and finds a variety of ways to do it by searching a variety of ticket sites. See oh, what I did there, Ryan? That's a wonderful analogy. All the other Thanks, sites sir. are very Spursy at the moment. Let's just say that. Very spursy. <laughs> and every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets with confidence, uh, as opposed to, say, if you have a like, slightly questionable transfer policy, you can't guarantee they're going to be successes, but SeatGeek allows you to do so. Yeah. And they'll even give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Ryan, how is it possible for people to get $10 off? $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase, you mm-hmm. say, Taylor. What you need to do is get the SeatGeek app. Today, sense. preferably. You can do it on your phone. You can do it. Uh, be good. Access it online too. Promo code TSS. There we for $10 are. $10 off on your first purchase. That's promo code TSS for $10 off on your first purchase at SeatGeek. I've been using some ticketing sites but recently, by the way. As you know, it's been the summer of Ryan, the summer of music. I saw mm-hmm. Casey Musgraves earlier in the week, which I spoke now, about earlier um, yeah. on this podcast, and met up with Total Soccer Show fan Adam Kiefer, who is her bass player, who's a lovely, pre- lovely fella. That's pretty phenomenal. Was yeah. it a pretty solid show? Very solid show. One of the best I've seen this summer, definitely. She does a re- she has a really good stage set up. Her voice is incredible. Band are great. Couldn't ask for and, more. And did you get to what were you like on stage with the bass player? Is that how it all worked out? Yeah, I took I took over for a few songs. No okay. big deal. <laughs> you can play guitar, right? Does that mean you can also play bass? I don't know how these things work. Yeah, bass is just two, two less strings. Easy, mate. Uh, see, uh, that's <laughs> okay. what I thought, they, but they again, are. I'm s- I'm so musically in, in, like challenged that I wasn't sure that was the case and didn't want to offend bass players of the world. No, that was an offensive comment I made because bass is a very different beast altogether. Oh, okay. See, yeah. there we go. Yeah, Flea, Flea and John Entwistle are mad at you now. So, uh, you have uh, that one of them's madder than the other. That's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's move to Arsenal Aston Villa, where it's definitely not Arsenal fans who are upset. Although uh, I am slightly upset with uh, Socrates. I will say positive things about Arsenal in a moment, but I have to start with Socrates or Socrates, depending on how you want to pronounce that one, for some painful acting and then almost conceding a handball. Ryan, did you see uh, Socrates flailing about as though he'd been blinded? Uh, the old headbutting your old ha- your own hand trick, huh? It was that yeah, that was chestnut, that was impressive. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's like he was uh, stuck between the legs, which is not a, a, I think a place you necessarily want to be. But basically, well, there's uh, yeah, I, guess, I suppose that makes sense. Um, there's there's basically a, a scrap. He gets uh, tangled up with Wesley. He's between the forwards uh, like knees essentially. Like he's sitting on the ground. Uh, he's fallen over. The referee gives the foul. The AR does. And Wesley sort of like raises his hands in protest to say, like, I didn't foul him. And he, when he drops him to his side, maybe there's a little bit of contact with Socrates, but it's like, it's very obvious that he's not been hurt the way he has. And instead he rolls around on the ground. And in that moment, it felt like, oh, this is going to be the way it goes for Arsenal. Mm. They get the red card. You've got players flopping around and not like having the best game possible. They're one nil down at that point. And then 
they find a way to turn it back. The game finishes 3-2, and Arsenal battle back, get two goals in three minutes in the 81st and 84th. Callum Chambers, obviously everyone's pick to uh, equalize with a great little goal. Then Aubameyang with a free kick at the end. And it felt very un-Arsenal, in my opinion. Very much so, yeah. And I, I was getting all fuzzy with Schadenfreude when I saw it was 2-1, you know, mm-hmm. going into Resi late, late on in this game. But I also like a comeback win. Uh, but the, the Socrates, Socrates uh, uh-huh. play acting wasn't the biggest Socrates story no, was of this game, was it not? Because that, that handball at the end, mm-hmm. I am still scratching my head as to how that's not given under the current handball rules. How It, it struck his arm. His arm was, mm-hmm. I would call it an unnatural position. He extended it out. It looked like the ball was headed to the net. How on earth is that not given? Yeah, and and you can see the intentionality of on the reverse angle. Like he definitely is leaning in to try to like put a body on it. Obviously, he's not trying to handle the ball, but I think he's trying to like have it hit his pectoral. But it ends up hitting his arm, and so to me, it's a clear clear handball. Should have like should have gone to VAR, but this is where I am wrong. In in that like this is me being one of the people who thinks like oh you got a VAR that that's how it works. In reality, that's not how it works. They have stated that uh, there are like instances of handball in the box where you don't want to penalize the uh, like you don't want to penalize the defensive team. You do penalize the attacking team. Seems to be the way it's going. And yeah. to the extent that I believe I'm correct in saying that if this had been given as a penalty, VAR likely would have overturned it because it's a Shot from relatively close distance, I guess is the argument. It felt like it was far enough away that Socrates was able to lean in and try to block it. That means that maybe he had time to make an intentional decision. So I'm with you that I don't understand why this wasn't given. Other than that, I guess that's how the rules are right now. And once again, maybe we should look at those rules one more time in the offseason. Why do we bother with watching this game in general when things like this happen? I don't know. Because (laughs) then things like Aubameyang's winner happen. And it's a lovely free kick. Some questions about Tom Heaton, who sets up the wall to defend the near post. He then stands at the far post and gets beat at his far post. Uh, I know there's lots of bodies in the way. Um, but it was a great goal from Aubameyang, and it made me wonder about a question we had last week. Um, on the Friday show when Daryl was back, we had a listener ask if Weston McKinney would thrive at Arsenal. Uh, I think Ryan, or like Daryl and I both kind of agreed that he probably would not. Um, one of my reasons was because I couldn't think of a recent Arsenal player who had thrived at the club. That yeah. had been a while since I thought of somebody who was like in their peak form doing all these amazing things. Um, but this weekend, I think RuPaul Caligiuri on Twitter uh, tweeted to suggest that Aubameyang is thriving, given that he got a share of the Golden Boot last season and is continuing to be a big-time performer for Arsenal this season. So, Ryan, would you say that Aubameyang is thriving at Arsenal? Yeah, I think based on his goal record, for sure. All right. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not sure that Weston McKenney would. Yeah, I mean, that's that's where we were. Yeah, because... I mean, what would you expect him to be, like a Cesc Fabregas figure and rise up like that? Is that the question? Yeah, I think like like comes in, like like has like a, a bit of pedigree from like having played consistently at a young age, or I guess he didn't play for Barcelona, but like having a bit of pedigree coming in from Europe, uh, where I guess for Cesc Fabregas, if you're in uh, La Masia, then that automatically means the same as like starting for Schalke for two seasons, I think is how it balances out. But yeah, it right. comes in, becomes a role player, becomes a squad player, becomes a key player, and then maybe moves to Barcelona, I guess, is what it ends up being with Weston McKinney. Yeah, I mean... My, my my instinct is to say I don't think that would happen because I don't think he's as high a quality. Yeah. But he's also very young, and you know it, 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 that could happen. And you look mm-hmm. at Sabios is is doing a decent job in yeah. that kind of role as well. I mean, mm-hmm. but it depends what 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 con, you know what context we're putting in and how 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 we judge a breakthrough, I suppose. 
Oh, I think I think actually Daryl uh, Daryl kind of hit it on the head with saying that like McKenny can be so up and down in some of his performances that sometimes he is very reliable and locks things down, and then sometimes he like runs into challenges and picks up an unnecessary yellow or like runs around a bit too much, and that did feel sort of like Arsenal this season. So yeah. maybe he's he's a perfect fit in that regard. I think is where Daryl uh, ended up. But in this game, players that have been unreliable at times this season I felt like performed really well uh, Ganduzi especially he draws the penalty that kind of turns things around or starts the turnaround yeah. uh, I saw today that he was did you see that he was getting into it with John Terry throughout the game oh yeah yeah, and I guess, and and when uh when Aubameyang went and scored the winner, I guess Ganduzi went over and celebrated in front of John Terry by holding up three fingers. So apparently they don't get along very well. But I enjoy that trash talking back and forth. So maybe thumbs up to Ganduzi as well for uh some trash talking. We can move to Man City. Can I uh, can I just Man- jump in there and oh, give sure, a little sure. thumbs up to? I, I want to go back and say thumbs up to Chelsea fans who not only had the uh, captain leader legend JT uh, banner still at Stamford Bridge, but underneath it a massive Eden Hazard flag flying at the Liverpool ground. Living what? in the past, living in the past a little bit. Really? Yeah. Dude, like, w- was it a new banner? Had they like just gotten it printed and it was so shiny that they wanted to keep it going? Maybe, like, they, yeah, they're, in, they're playing for it on the installment plan in order to get some value for money out of it, I guess. It was there. It was behind the goal. I like to think that it was like New York subway style. They just keep like pasting on top of an older one. So if you like peel the Hazard <laughs> one off, there's a Fernando Torres one on there. You peel that one off, there's probably like an Eto one on there. You just got to keep going back and back and back until eventually <laughs> you get to like a club legend who's it's been long enough that now they actually are a legend. And then you leave that one hanging up, and it looks like they're honoring their history as opposed to maybe just not updating their banner profiles. There we go. Banner right. profile right. updates, please. <laughs> uh, well, Man City uh, responded, and I have thumbs up to them for the maybe the biggest bounce back imaginable. Uh, after <laughs> losing to Watford midweek, obviously they win in the Champions League, but then they win big this weekend, eight nil over Watford. Ryan, where are your thumbs? This was uh, this match was much like uh, my uh, my six year old when I pack her school lunch. Eight nothing. <laughs> you like that? You like that one? You like oh, that one? I can't believe I laughed at it. I hate puns so much. I was much, working that was on that material one. all night and I got that to that. That was a good one. That was where I landed. And it's true in many <laughs> respects. Yeah. Um, I think I just want to jump in to say I think it resonates because uh, I, I have nieces and nephews who refuse to eat food no matter what or have very specific rules at their schools about what they are and are not allowed to eat. So I think it's that that, that pun really registered on a personal level. Maybe that's the issue. Daryl's puns don't always register on a personal level. <laughs> I estimate that. Probably 65% of my calorie intake is from food that has tiny, one tiny bite out of it. That's all I'll say. <laughs> is it also cut into various shapes to try to make it more appealing? <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yeah, and it's wrapped in <laughs> saran wrap. Anyway, um, let's move on to Man City, which I think was where this conversation started. I believe it was. This was a, a pretty good bounce back. Uh, eight, eight unreturned goals is pretty good. I think, you know, full credit to this. You know, there, was, there were several players on the field who were fantastic in this game. Mm-hmm. Bernardo Silva was fantastic. Sergio Aguero was fantastic. Ria Mahrez was great. Kevin De Bruyne was great. Uh, mm-hmm. Rodri had a pretty good game. I thought there wasn't any weak spots, really, in that in that City team, which I think no. is fair to say from an 8-0, an 8-0 win. Um, the only thing I might pick up on is the use of Fernandinho, 34-year-old Fernandinho, as centre-back. We saw Eric Garcia come on late. Uh, I was hoping that he or maybe Taylor Harwell-Bellis, who got a good run out in preseason, who impressed in preseason as sort of the new John Stones in a good way. Mm -hmm. Um, I I was hoping that 
he one of those two might get a start and this being a good situation to do that in you could argue you know they've got the league cup coming up and they might get their starts there but i thought this was a situation where he they either one of them could have been blooded in from the start so apart from that i thought it was pretty pretty spotless from city I have had a an experience, obviously not at Premier League level, but in college, like I thought I was the next up in the the center midfield pecking order, and I was like the the center midfielder ahead of me got injured, and I wasn't like celebrating that by any means, but I was like, oh, that means I'm probably going to start the next game, and then instead, I think like a center back was moved into center midfield, and it was a logical choice by the by the coach, but in that moment, I remember thinking like, oh, okay, so I'm not even close. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Uh, yeah. So it can definitely have that feeling of like, okay, I'm going to get my chance. Like maybe I'll be given the opportunity, especially against the Watford team that eventually conceded eight goals. Hmm. Maybe you could try some different people at center back, but I guess it works out for Pep, and Pep knows better than I. Uh, but you do wonder if maybe some of the center backs are going to be a little bit sad not to have come in, especially because it feels like they probably would have scored, uh, given that I think everybody on the city team sheet uh, scored or got an assist or was at least close to scoring at various points in this game yeah even after Mendy getting on the scores for, for the for the fifth one there yeah right they, they could have probably just played without center backs in this one to be honest <laughs> they yeah. would have been fine. slowly pull off people as the game progresses yeah. yeah which which is maybe a thing people wanted them to do because you know eight nil ryan it's it's a disgrace how can you keep scoring that many goals well that leads to my next my thumbs down is the debate about the uh, celebration, celebration, and you know, scoring too many goals in a game. Obviously, this harks back to the summer and the Women's World Cup and the US's uh, performance against Thailand, mm-hmm. where there was criticism of the players celebrating a bit too much uh, in those latter stages. And I just, I can understand where people are coming from. They're annoyed that 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 conversation wasn't applied to City here. I understand where they're coming from, but I just don't think it's the same thing because A, mm-hmm. someone Kevin De Bruyne puts in the eighth goal, which was one of the hardest shots I've ever seen hit, by the way. He must have hit yep. that about 300 miles an hour. Um, mm-hmm. He didn't celebrate. He'd, and I mean, they, were, they had stopped, you know, they toned it down mm-hmm. by the, those kind of goals. It was, like, it was like polite hugs at that point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was like, yeah, a little bit more dignified. It, it was different. And also, Watford are a fellow Premier League team. They're operating within the same ecosystem. Yes, obviously, City have got a lot more resources, but it's not quite the same thing as a financially dope national side taking on a a, a minnow who barely have a soccer program. It's not quite the same thing. There's less national and jingoistic stuff at stake here. They're both in the same ecosystem, if that makes sense. So I don't think that argument quite holds water here. Wait, so did you see people making that argument that they should have stopped celebrating or should have stopped scoring? Yeah, I saw lots of people saying, you know, oh, it's oh, annoying wow. how this wasn't, you know, we, we had a go at the women for doing this and we're not having a go at City was, was a few comments I saw on Twitter and I didn't quite think they rang true. Oh, I, I didn't even, re- I didn't realize that. I thought you were like, you were uh, like, just from the show notes, Ryan had like a uh, debate about celebrating goals. And I thought you were like pointing like, oh, we shouldn't care. We should just always like be happy that they scored. I see what you're getting at, which is, yeah, that's crazy to me. Like, no, this is a Premier League team and a league that we have seen goal difference come into massive play as yeah. the season winds down. So yeah, I mean, you want City to, to do everything they did. And unless you're, you know, a Liverpool fan, you probably didn't want them to do everything they did or a Watford <laughs> fan. But yeah, I I think that's that's a silly argument. If you can score goals, score goals. And I say that for uh, both uh, Man City and the U.S. Women's National Team, because how dare you, Ryan? All, all I hear is bitter tea because you didn't like the Alex Morgan celebration. <laughs> I'm still I'm still mad about that. Chelsea fans might be uh, happy about this as well because it means Watford's goal difference. Well, they've, they've conceded more goals than Chelsea now. So it's an, only Watford and Norwich <laughs> have conceded more now. So it's another one that helps them out in that respect. Right. But, you know, there's also something else at stake here. The 9-0. 
the you know the, the famous Man United Ipswich nine oh, nil, yes. which I remember very vividly because I was watching my team Wimbledon and we were playing Man United the following week, and I was like, okay, they've just beaten the team nine nil, and we're going to play these guys next week. It's going to be tough, but uh, you know maybe that was in the back of their minds. Get to that nine nil. Uh, I I hope so because that would make it more entertaining that they're like we want to just completely. Uh, erase Manchester United from the history books. We're going to take all of their records. Uh, and and also, I think at the same time, it would have uh, bummed out Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because I think he scored four goals in that game as a late substitute, somehow yeah. made it uh, four goals. Uh, and so to be reminded of, of, of happier times probably would have made uh, Ole even sadder. Um, maybe if Kevin De Bruyne had gotten a few more chances, they would have scored. Maybe Bernardo Silva could have scored more. Those are two gentlemen who I have thumbs up for. Kevin De Bruyne especially, uh, by my count, played a role in five of the eight goals, either scoring a goal himself, getting a very good assist, or just playing like key passes uh, that cause problems or set up opportunities for Man City. Uh, I thought he was one of the most electrifying players in a game that featured many, many, many exciting performances. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, pour some out for all the fantasy uh, managers who had Raheem Sterling in their team, by the way. <laughs> Gone 8 near win and he didn't even come on. That's rough. <sighs> That's yeah. a rough one. That's a yeah, rough that, weekend. That's a little rough. That's a little rough. Uh, any other thumbs, either up or down? I from just this wanted game? to give a little thumb down to Bernardo Silva. Obviously, had a very good afternoon, but also got embroiled in something of a storm from a tweet he mm-hmm. sent out, um, directed at um, his teammate Benjamin Mendy, uh, comparing him to a Portuguese confectionery, uh, which yeah. is being deemed as a racist gesture mm-hmm. and not a big fan of that kind of thing. And he later tweeted out, can't even joke with a friend these days, you guys, dot, dot, dot. Not the most watertight defense there, Bernardo. <laughs> Don't think you're going to get away with this one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like he has. I did see some people saying, like, Mendy didn't have a problem with it, so if he's not offended, then we shouldn't be offended. And I guess, like, maybe that's true, but my feeling there is, like, yeah, but then you're still kind of publicly asking a person to say, like, right, you weren't offended, right? And that kind of puts it on Mendy, which I feel like is not a great... Yeah, that doesn't make it all right. It does not, as opposed to saying, like, oh, sorry, like, I probably should have done that, and then thinking about it and realizing that, yeah, you definitely should have done that. Maybe learn from that situation, learn from that mistake. That would have been a good response. I would have been okay with that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that, that was the only sort of sour mark on, um, on, on that performance for the day, I'd right. say. How long well, before um, Kika Sanchez Flores gets fired again, by the way? <laughs> I feel so bad for him because the whole narrative was like, here he is. He's going to turn it around. They're back where they belong. Oh, eight. No. Yikes. We okay, know that Watford had the Trump administration policy of revolving door of all, all personnel. <laughs> so, you know, it, it could be soon. It does seem to be an equally effective strategy of just keep firing people until eventually you either have success or lose 8 nil and have to kind of publicly deal with uh, your actions. We'll see what Watford end up doing. Yeah. Uh, and maybe Manchester United as well. They're maybe in a similar boat in that sort of policy. Maybe so. Make uh, make Watford great again. Slash keep Watford great. That's all I can say. <laughs> uh, before we talk Manchester United, I think that might be our final Premier League game. Uh, we should talk about today's sponsor, Dollar Shave Club. Uh, when I talk about Dollar Shave Club, I cannot stress enough the quality of their products. They've spent years developing, crafting, and refining everything. Um, and I believe that that, that that to be true because I try to use uh, a safety razor when I can, which is just like that single blade yep. sort of like metal razor. And that comes with the, it's not like a mortar and pestle, but it's like a brush that you like, you kind of like, you lather up, you put that on, and then that's how you shave. And I tend to nick myself way more often than like I usually do. But so I started using the Dollar Shave Club, like shave butter and the, uh, 
I think, and and the shave lather as well. Both of those work incredibly well, and I have significantly fewer, if if no cuts at all, when I use those products. So I can definitely say that is a high quality product. Ryan, you have finally gotten to use Dollar Shave Club products. Are there any that you have particularly enjoyed, Taylor? I f- this is what it feels like when doves cry because you've just you've, <laughs> this is this is the exact same story of my life. You've there just told go. here. I for many years, for four or five years, I've just used safety razors, right? The single blades, as you say, mm-hmm. because I thought, oh, no, no, no need for those four or five blade, uh, yeah. you know, promotional dealies. And I've been reasonably happy with that, but I do cut myself quite a lot. And mm-hmm. then I got through the Dollar Shave Club gear. I got through the blades. I got some shave butter. I got some post shave dew and a couple other little uh, little luxuries from from these mm-hmm. guys. I used it for the first time last week and legitimately the best shave I've ever had in my life. You texted me that, and I was very, very excited because if you just said it on the show, I might think you were just saying it on the show. That you like <laughs> excitedly texted me, like, this stuff's great. I was like, hooray, we're not the only ones who think the, so. The, the and sad, I guess uh, lots of other people do because lots of other people subscribe to Dollar Shave Club. But the, yes. The sad thing is I was at my gym, and I didn't even wait till I got home to text you. I was texting <laughs> you from the sink after I had my shave. I was yes. so excited about that. You shave at the gym? You're a real adult, Ryan. Well, because uh, well, I think it's the opposite of a real adult because I don't shave in the morning because I shave once I've got out and I'm halfway through my day and I've had a shower at the gym. That's kind of, yeah. Use their hot water, not mine. That's my <laughs> that's my philosophy. <laughs> well, uh, right now, if you'd like to use the Dollar Shave Club products, if not Ryan's shaving facilities, uh, <laughs> you can put the quality of Dollar Shave Club products to the test. Their ultimate shave starter set has basically everything you need for an amazing shave. The executive razor, shave butter, prep scrub, post-shave dew, which is a very nice feature to... You know, I was going to say, things the, nice. the Dr. Carver's post-shave dew is the mm. is the absolute icing on the cake. I love that stuff. What, 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 did, what did you enjoy the most about it, aside from just feeling fresh? Like an hour later, I could still kind of smell it on my face. Yeah, right? It's, it's a nice... It's like the lingering scent of like freshness that you did your job well, mm. and you're not bleeding from your face copiously. So that's good. <laughs> uh, the best part is you can try it for just $5. After that, the restock box ships regular-sized products at regular prices. Ryan, how can people get their ultimate uh, starter set? Ultimate starter set runs for just $5. Dollarshaveclub.com slash TSS. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash TSS for the best on shave of your life. There we are. So thank you very much to Dollar Shave Club for sponsoring today's show and helping Ryan and I not cut our faces, which maybe is slightly more palatable than watching Manchester United play in their current uh, capacity. Steady uh, West Ham 2, Man United nil. Uh, I have thumbs up to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's English language accent because I found it more interesting than the team he currently manages. Uh, I was listening to him talk and I was realizing that like when my assumption now is that when you learn a second language, which English is to him, you learn it sort of in, in the capacity of where you're living yeah. and so to hear him talk I have Norwegian cousins and there are lots of very similar cadences and the pronunciation is very similar and then every now and then you can hear that sort of like Mancunian Yorkshire accent come through and it's this strange like whoa suddenly he's from England and then suddenly he's Norwegian again and again that was really captivating to me because the things on the field were not captivating at all Ryan I'm assuming you have very complex detailed thoughts about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's accent yeah I agree it's very pleasant but the, the king of that <laughs> is um, Peter Schmeier Michael, who sounds Ooh. like half Manchester, half Danish, because he, cause he learned right. English up there. It's great. That's it's right. wonderful. Uh, but yeah, I do have uh, down to pretty much everything else from this game in terms <laughs> of thumbs, uh, which is maybe like it's a best representation of how many things are wrong at the club, mm. uh, because I think Alan Shearer from Match of the Day said it very well, which is basically like, 
Like when they did the the analysis that they do on match of the day, they kind of didn't have much to talk about because usually when you have a quote unquote big club losing to a quote unquote smaller club, like the smaller club has like, oh, they executed their game plan perfectly and look how they frustrated and sat deep and bunkered and countered or played this different style of play. And here their point was like, West Ham didn't really have that even that good of a game, which is where Manchester United are right now, that you don't have to have that good of a game to be right. able to beat them and to kind of beat them in a fairly convincing fashion. Uh, and I think that there are many, 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 many problems and reasons for that at Manchester United. And I don't really want to go into all of them because we're not a Man United podcast and I'm aware that I'm a fan, so I have more of a vested interest than most. But I will just say that this game was sort of from top to bottom, everything that's wrong with the club uh, was there. Very much so. And I, I feel the same way as Alan Shearer here because I was making notes for this this morning and mm-hmm. I thought, I've got nothing to write down here. Yep. It was a really boring game. Yep. Man United were desperately slow moving the mm-hmm. ball. And that's, that's about all there was. I was watching it this game with my father-in-law who's in his Man United shirt, Man United fan oh, no. for his whole life. He grew up in Manchester. And he was just sitting there like, just didn't say a word. And that's not like him to watch a game like that. And it was just like, oh, this this is just... He said he said there's not, not enough talent on field, mm-hmm. and I kind of agree with that to an extent. But yep. also, I thought it's not it's much more than that. It's 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 the way they're being directed. It's the culture at the club. It's the way this yep. club can turn good players into bad players. It's the way they yep. should be moving a lot faster than they are. It's mm-hmm. it's a it's a combination of a lot of things. And as you say, West Ham they looked really good here. They shut they successfully shut Man United down. They couldn't really United couldn't really create anything. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, West Ham didn't do anything terribly special to get there yeah yeah and like i mean even even west ham's goals like it's a great free kick from cresswell so that like that one maybe removed the other goal from yamalenko like it's just man united not stepping and kind of standing off and being a little bit lackadaisical in their approach and then similar to the end of last season you start to see them get stretched out and they're kind of playing a couple different styles at a couple different times and i think there's probably not enough talent there marcus rashford gets the groin injury now there's even uh less talent than there was there before Mm. which speaks to a program seller up front didn't they for the (laughs) yeah mason greenwood had tonsillitis so that may well have been the case (laughs) that they just like yeah sure this guy why not Uh, um and and yeah and that speaks to recruitment and the way they've kind of gone about building this team and the last five or so years and it it really was just kind of all of the glaring deficiencies were on display and and i think it it's it is not an un like it's a fairly common thing to say at this point but it's common because it's accurate that like there is a lot of work to be done at that at that club before things get any better and i don't think a january window and a couple more players will solve it so again that's why i hope james madison doesn't leave leicester because i i don't want to be responsible for ruining yet another (laughs) exciting player they made andre yarmolenko look good Yes, and that's, that's, that's is unacceptable. <laughs> uh, all right, enough of the Premier can League. I, can, uh, I, can, I, can I? Can I? One more before we leave Premier League. Fine. Land. The the Twitter video of uh, Edward Woodward and Phil Jones. Oh yeah, you seen this thing? So it, it looks like uh, it looks like if you lit read Jones saying mm-hmm. sacked in the morning, and it, it looks does. like Woodward turning around mm-hmm. like an angry dad on a long road trip and saying, you know, if you don't shut up, I'm, I'm coming back there and we're turning the car around. But it, 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 it's. It's surely not what's being said, right? 
No, I think uh, if if you watch closely, like as it as it ends, the kind of camera pans out just a tiny bit, and you can see there's a woman sitting next to Phil Jones, right? And I believe that is Man United's uh, chief press officer, or at least she was when they uh, did their American tour a couple seasons ago. Because I interacted with her, I sat next to her, uh, so I'm assuming Ooh. that Ed Woodward was talking eh? to. There you go. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was talking to her, probably about like how are we going to talk about this? Yeah. Um, and I think Phil Jones had just maybe muttered something. I Either to her or just to himself, but it. I. But with that said, it absolutely looks like Phil Jones has said "sacked" in the morning. Once you have that sort of caption to go off of, or once mm. you have in your head that's what he's saying, that's what it looks like. And yes, it looks like Ed Woodward has turned and shot him a very angry look, or maybe also a like, "Wait, should we do that? Is that an idea? Can I do that? And then maybe things will be better." Okay, fine, we'll do that. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing here. Let's buy some noodles or a tractor or something. <laughs> Oh, I have emotions, Ryan. I have emotions. I have such emotions that I think I'm taking us very long on today's episode. Uh, I know you've got places to be, so we should run through a few more games before uh, we get you out of here. Should we move to Spain? Let's do that. Let's go to uh, fun in, well, not in Catalonia, in Granada, shall we? Yes, we shall. Where Granada hand Barcelona a 2-0 loss. Uh, not the way I saw this one going, Ryan. Uh, thumbs? Down for Mr. Valverde for me, Mr. Mm. Tete. Uh, you know, very poor start. Is it the por- poorest start in, is it 24 years? I think the stat I, I saw. So. Barcelona, you know, seven points from five games. It, it, you know, th- there's some questions being asked of the lineups here and, you know, players like Gerard Piquet, are they suitable to a team which, you know, is required to press high and, mm-hmm. What was Barca's shape for a lot of this game? You know, the, so they took off Ansu Fati for no, sorry, they brought on Ansu Fati for mm-hmm. uh, man of the match, Junior Firpo, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean that kind of ruined the shape a little bit, and people had to move around, and it was like, what's going on here? What is going on here? And it made me think like there was a good jumping off point for Valverde after that Liverpool mm. game last season. Why is he yeah. still? Why is he still here? Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, it, it's. It's been a debate uh, that I have seen from Barcelona fans for a while that Valverde is not good enough, but basically uh, Madrid being as bad as they were, Atletico essentially needing the rebuild, which is where they are right now. It has sort of allowed Barcelona to sort of continue to succeed when it's not necessarily because they are this like lights out next level team. Obviously, they're a very good team. Valverde is a an okay manager, a fine manager. Yeah. But I, I don't think that it has been quite so like they've been this dominant team that they were under Guardiola or other coaches and everyone else has been, you know, doing their best and just can't keep up. Instead, I think maybe they've benefited from kind of a downturn in form of a couple of other teams. And it's almost to me like I'm going to take it back to United for a moment, but like Mourinho when the United finished second, and I think that was, you saw why he's such a good manager. He's able to get that team to that position and win the Europa League, and I think the board sort of saw that as, oh, well then you don't even need investment. If, you know, We'll buy you one player or two players, and then you'll win the league. We're totally good here, and I think maybe Barcelona the same, that Valverde does enough with what he has and Lionel Messi to sort of like paper over some of his own cracks maybe, and yeah. so it ends up thinking like, okay, yeah, we can we can continue to compete this is the guy for us longevity and stability and now here they are being kind of forced to experiment and try different people in different spots and yeah to your point it absolutely did not work uh in this game and it was one of the more disjointed performances i've seen from a barcelona team in a very long time yeah quite quite depressing for barcelona fans this one but you know thumbs up for granada by the way that's yeah. third in the league in this one they're, they're flying at the moment aren't they and they look they yeah, look good in they're this ahead game. of barcelona <laughs> it's insane <laughs> 
<laughs> OBS. And to your uh, sort of joke that still has me laughing, Junior Furpo, man. Junior Furpo. I feel so bad. He's in, he's in the TSS scouting network. I was excited to see him get this move, but at the same time apprehensive for all the reasons we've talked about when a an exciting player goes to a bigger team. You don't always know how many minutes they're going to get or how they're going to look. And in this game, especially for the first uh, uh, Granada goal score by Aziz, it's... Pretty brutal. I think Furpo gets beat at least two times, maybe even three times in the same sequence that leads yeah. to the goal. And not, and not just, just beaten two or three times by Roberto Soldado. Yeah, that's not great. That's not great. That's not the man you think of as this like fleet of foot genius. Bobby Soldier getting one over him. Oh boy. <laughs> So, yes, I think Junior Furpo did not cover him in glory. I don't think Frankie de Jong playing as, like, a number six Sergio Busquets-style player uh, necessarily works for Barcelona either. But it's the whole not defensive line... Messi so, in the lineup. Sorry to jump in there, but that, that no, Furpo, their Furpo error on that first goal, which mm-hmm. is two minutes into the match, by the way, was appalling. Yep. But also, if you look at Granada, they've got a man over. They've got an unmarked man on the back post when the yep. ball is, is deflected exactly. in anyway. Yeah. There's, there's a lot going wrong with that Barcelona back line during that move. It's it it is very strange to see that like you would expect like okay there's no Lionel Messi Luis Suarez has finally returned so there's going to be a little bit of a downturn in form but obviously they'll start to put it together they'll bring in some of the new names and some of the younger names and yeah like they're Barcelona they'll find a way through and I think that would be a sort of like lazy bit of analysis and maybe it is but it would be lazy analysis in other leagues but when it comes to Barcelona who have been a okay, relative institution for the last 10 years or so, you do expect them to just sort of like, yeah, but it's still Barcelona. They're going to win. Maybe they'll like draw a game that they didn't draw last season, or maybe they'll drop a couple points. But yeah. for them to be an eighth on seven points after five games is a very, very surprising situation for them to be in. Uh, we're going to have Graham Ruthven on the show later in the week. He is our kind of La Liga expert, so I'm going to pick his brain about what's gone wrong at Barcelona, what's gone right at, say, Granada and Real Sociedad, who are currently in the Champions League spots. I, I don't understand how Atleti aren't uh, in those spots either. They're currently yeah. sixth. So many things to try to figure out about La Liga, which uh, I think we'll do later in the week, uh, unless you have more things to say from Granada to Barcelona nil. No, I'm all set, but well done for getting Graham's surname pronounced there. I can never, I can never do it. No, thank you. Ho- hopefully I did, but I probably didn't because I'm pretty <laughs> bad at names as well. Uh, I did want to briefly mention Leon nil PSG 1. Uh, I have thumbs up to Neymar for reminding me why we all care about Neymar. Uh, for the second time in two games or in two league games, he uh, nets the winner, very late winner in this one. It's, I don't know if you've seen it, Ryan, but for those who haven't, it's, it's a ball played at him. He has like three different defenders on his back. He's in the box. He's able to kind of turn with one, with one touch and turns his entire body at the same time, takes another touch, then hits it back across into the far side netting. It's like inch perfect. An inch to the right, it goes off the post. An inch to the left, it's saved, but he puts it in exactly where it needed to go to get that win. Yeah. And like, it does not forgive all of the other things that have surrounded Neymar for the last two years, uh, and not even an argument I'm even coming close to make, but more so just that moment of like, right, this is why we were all so excited about him at Barcelona, why we were so excited about him at Santos, and he still has those abilities that make him that next level player. It's just been so long since we saw them, so it's just nice to see him back to doing Neymar things. Yeah, it's good that he's reacted to this negative situation in a positive way, obviously getting this, you know, winning goal here, and did the same thing against Strasbourg mm-hmm. last week as well, that, that beautiful beautiful goal uh, yep. in, in the dying minutes but yeah it, <laughs> well done Neymar you're doing the thing you paid a lot of money to do in, exactly the, in the league right? which is a little bit below you by your own standards so congratulations I hate that we have to have that qualifier of like congratulations you're you're doing the thing that you should be doing every single week <laughs> yeah 
Wow, boredom but, is a by thing. By the way, boredom you know he treats every home game as an away game. Does he treat every away game as a home game now? I that would be terrific. I hope so. That would be confusing for him. I think, but mm. you know, stranger things have happened. He PSG goes back keeps to... switching their kits up, and you know, you never know. <laughs> it might confuse him. Uh, a couple other quick points. I did want to say thumbs up to the aforementioned Shaka, who uh, who win two wins in six days. I think it was Weston McKinney uh, playing most of that game. I think he subbed out in the second half, yep. uh, but looked solid. As did Sergino Dest playing the entire derby uh, of PSV Ajax. That one finishes one to one. So just wanted to get two quick mentions for some young Americans doing some exciting things in Europe, provided that Serginho Dest uh, remains American. Uh, supposedly, he's having talks with the Dutch Federation this week. Uh, but that's been talked to death, and I don't really think anybody wants to hear more about Serginho Dest until he makes a decision. So instead, Ryan, let's go to Italy. Italy! We had the Derby della Madonnina, the Milan yep. Derby. The mm-hmm. Thank you for knowing Bal- the name of it, because I always call it the Milan Derby, and I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, I might have called it something wrong. Who knows? Nah, oh, we don't fact check on this thing. Um, a thumbs up, though. Antonio Conte mm-hmm. bringing it back to Internazionale. Maximum points in the league, playing very nicely, got some mm-hmm. good players on board, responded very well to that disappointing Champions League result midweek as well. Brilliant. And Brilliant. And similar to your point about Liverpool and sort of finding a way to win, this was a game where the Lukaku goal, the second goal, uh, was a well-taken goal from him. But the first goal was a Brozovic shot that was deflected, and then there's a conversation about offside. Initially, mm-hmm. I believe it's not given. They review it. They decide, oh, well, there was no like intentionality of the play. There's no contact on the, from the offside player, so he's not materially involved. No. So it is a goal. But it, it was one of those sort of like, yeah, sometimes you got to shoot a hopeful shot from outside the the box and see what happens and that is the difference on occasion between first and second and right now it is because Brozovic gets that goal it allows the kind of way this game is shaped to go because now Milan have to open up a little bit more have to try to attack a little bit more and then Inter are able to get that second goal so I think Antonio Conte has definitely got his team clicking and I should say Romelu Lukaku performing decently well uh, I have thumbs up to him he is the inspiration for thumbs up thumbs down he didn't have a great game but I have to believe that like scoring in a Milan derby while United lose to West Ham has to feel <laughs> very, very good in terms of like, see, I'm a big time player. Maybe you guys just weren't big time enough for me. Yeah, definitely. And a nice redemption story of, you know, players who are ruined by Man United can get better afterwards. Well, I suppose we've seen that before with Di Maria and lots of other players, to be fair. Um, I mean, there is Alexis Sanchez still in Inter Milan. Maybe we should, uh, maybe we shouldn't hold our breaths. Uh, but like, if, if Alexis Sanchez comes in and becomes like serial player of the season, then we know something is very, very wrong at Manchester United. By the way, I haven't followed Atom and Humber's Instagram, his two dogs. I'm assuming they've got some nice Milanese digs now. Ooh, nor have I. And I feel like that's probably like, but like, I guess there's a, like a, a reverence for dogs in Italy. I mean, more like, I don't know. Do you think, do you think the English love their dogs more so than the Italians, Ryan? I don't. I don't know if I can answer that question. I don't know. I think they probably. But you're in a comfortable position here, haven't yeah. I? <laughs> Mate, I just, I'm, I'm picturing I, Milan being a fan of smaller dogs that fit in handbags than big Labradors. Sounds very, very likely and is almost certainly correct. I think it's just that I'm like, it's a genuine dog question for me at this point because I know I'm American. I'm a person whose dogs sleep in my bed. So like that's, that's where I am with this one. But I know that that is a very strange way to be for even a lot of Americans. But I know then for Europeans, maybe there isn't like certain, like the affinity to the next level that maybe Americans have for their dogs. So I just didn't know if that was a normal thing or if maybe that is just like the world over. Everybody's down for Alexis Sanchez to have adorable puppies. Did you say? In your bed? I did. Not on the bed? 
Well, yeah, on the bed. They're not like under the sheets. Because they're in the covers with you. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's it's me, then the large dog, then the little dog, then my wife. We all sleep under the covers in a very like uh, picturesque, you know, turn of the century or like a uh, little house on the prairie sort of situation. <laughs> That was definitely not turn of the century. That was a little bit further back than that. Uh, no, yes, they sleep on the bed. A, a key distinction, Ryan. That's why we have you here for that attention to detail and uh, to talk about our final game of the day, Juventus Verona. My Verona, very good stuff. Uh, let's let's give a big up, a big thumbs up to Miguel Veloso and that wonder goal he scored in this mm-hmm. one with the, <laughs> the bizarre situation, which uh, from which entailed a missed penalty, which hit the woodwork twice, cleared to the edge of the box eventually. And in comes that wonderful Veloso shot. Uh, I saw it titled, like, uh, he scored a FIFA goal against a team that doesn't exist in FIFA. I'm guessing that's because Juventus have given the rights to another, uh, like, gaming console or something like that. But yes, it's a great, it's a great volley from Miguel Veloso that maybe, like, in the moment I was like, okay, here we go. Like, this is going to be more drama for for Juventus. And then they're able to find their way through. But it's Aaron Ramsey who helps them find their way through. So it was like Miguel Veloso, a player who I haven't thought about in a very long time, uh, Scoring the goal for uh, for Verona, and yeah. then suddenly Aaron Ramsey, a player who I guess the Arsenal front office didn't think about for a very long time, coming in and helping like, kind of jumpstart the comeback for Juve. Two, uh, two semi-forgotten names in my mind coming back to do big things, and I enjoyed it uh, immensely. Very much so. And by the way, you know, look at Juventus' starting eleven for this match. It's pretty good. Then, oh, look, yeah? at, look, then look at their bench. Bernadeschi, Emery Chan, De Ligt, Gonzalo Higuain, Kadira, Mandzukic, Pjanic... Rabio, Chesney, they've got two teams. They've got a, that is not their fair. squad is far too big. That's um. We, there's a team here in Richmond that like uh in the adult league who always has like 24 players turn up to their games, <laughs> and it's and on the one like and all 24 of those players are very good. But it's also the case that like when your team only has 11 show up and you look across to just see a full team like plus a full team of substitutions, it's it's very demoralizing. And maybe that's what Juve are going for is like we're gonna have all the best players. So when you turn up to play against us, even our subs warming up, you're like, oh god, those guys are so they're not even playing. They're not even playing in this game. Oh, now a, we're in trouble. Have you seen a better subs bench than that? It's amazing. Uh, no, I can't say that I have. That's, that's pretty absurd. <laughs> so that strong. is an accumulation of talent that doesn't seem entirely fair and potentially explains why Juventus have had the success that they have had. Yeah, I'd say so. It's, uh, but it could, be, it could be more problematic than, than positive in many ways because you know their squad is too big. So. But what they don't have, with that said, is uh, Egyptian goalkeeper Mahmoud Gad. That's the final note I want to uh, to uh, mention on today's show. Because, mm. uh, uh, you know, we always end up talking about the Egyptian league. Uh, pyramids uh, beating ENPPI 4-0 on the weekend. Uh, again, I feel like people who don't know where I'm going with this one are probably very, very confused. Uh, but Egyptian goalkeeper Mahmoud Gad had... Like the weirdest sort of double save I think I've ever seen. There's a long ball, kind of a driven long ball that he sprints off his line to like Manuel Neuer ask head clear. It's like a diving header, but it's that sort of strange goalkeeper diving header where they make themselves almost into like a tube, where like the arms are down by their <laughs> sides and it's this weird flying header. And then I think he for like a quarter second celebrates and then realizes like, oh, that ball is still very much in play, gets up, starts sprinting back uh, towards his goal because the Pyramids player, I don't know his name, has taken the ball out of the air one time. It's a volley from like 40, maybe 50 yards away. It's a great volley. 
It's an amazing volley, and yet God is able to get back in time to sort of dive, flail, and push the ball over the bar. It's an incredible sequence of events that I will link to in the show notes because everybody should check it out. It was uh, my favorite play of the weekend. So thumbs down to Mahmoud Gad. <laughs> thumbs down? I mean, thumbs up. Excuse I was me. Say it's Ex- the opposite. <laughs> I mean, thumbs down to ENPPI for not backing up that amazing performance by uh, scoring some more goals. Uh, they lost 4-0, as I said. But yes, thumbs very, very, very much up. Excuse me. God, give God more credit. He's at the top of the Egyptian pyramid. Football pyramid. Ah, you worked Football on pyramid. that one all night too, didn't you? I'll try. <laughs> all right, Ryan. Well, um, you have tried and succeeded very much uh, on today's show. We talked about lots of soccer from all over the place, lots of Premier League soccer because it was a very fascinating weekend in the Premier League. Uh, so, Ryan, I will just say thank you very much for uh, watching all the games, doing all the work, having all the thumbs. It was very much appreciated. Thank you, Taylor. Always a pleasure. Never a chore. 